So, when you were a kid, did you ever run away from home? <laughs> now, there might be some of you, I, I know, there might be some of you who, uh, for lack of a better term, were successful at running away from home, and you ran away, and you never looked back. You, you were gone. But, but I would bet for, for most of us, if, if you ran away from home when you were young, you, you weren't too successful in running away from home. You may have grabbed a few things you know, out of your room and, and stormed out the door in, in a little temper tantrum. And then you get to the end of the driveway or you get to the end of the street and then you realize, I don't know where I'm going to go now. <laughs> And so you turn back, and you go home. Anyone ever do that when you, were, when you were little? Run away from home, yeah, for about 30 minutes or so before you come back to mom and dad? Yeah. Uh, I remember when my, my oldest brother, I think he was about eight or so, he ran away from home. But before he ran away, he, he left a note for my parents that said, I hate green beans. I'm running away from home. I will never eat another green bean. I think he ran away to the backyard. I ran away uh, a couple times, but I think the farthest that I ever made it was my best friend's house who just lived around the corner. And I think the reason why, at least when we're younger, the reason why we're so unsuccessful in our attempts to escape is because we're always a little bit more focused on, on the away part, you know, of running away than we are on the two part of where we're going to. Or as running away from something, running away from your parents, running away from something at home, running away from green beans, but you don't really know where you're going to. You haven't really thought it through about where you're running away to. And so we may run away from home, uh, when, when we feel like, you know, we're independent enough, where, where we have our own opinions, where we have our own preferences, where we have our own autonomy, and we're sure of that, and that usually begins around the age of two, you know, all the way until you graduate high school, right? But then we stop running away from home, and we begin running away from God, and for the same reason, we formed our own opinions and we have our own preferences. And, and maybe, maybe you've run away from God, kind of stopped believing in God because of some philosophical or theological reason. And, and maybe at some point in your life, you've come to the end of the theological driveway, you know, and you've stepped over and you've suspended belief. You've left. You've gone. For at least some period of time. But other times, when we run away from God, we run away from God for the same reason that we run away from home. I don't want to eat any more green beans. God, I, I know you're asking me to do this thing, but I don't want to do it. Even if it's good for me, I'm not going to do it. Life is so unfair. 
Or sometimes we run away from God because we have our own strong will. We run away because we don't want to do the thing that God is calling us to do. Or we don't want to stop doing the thing that God is telling us to quit. And so, I know that you still might be at home, right? You, 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 haven't, you haven't totally left the property. You're, 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 you're just on the driveway, right? But your bags are packed. And you haven't made it over, but you got one foot on the other side ready to go. And maybe, maybe that's just where a few of you are today. I mean, give you the benefit of the doubt. After all, you are here in church. You haven't stopped believing in God. You're still here in church. And, and maybe you're part of a Bible study. Maybe you're part of a small group. Maybe, maybe you still spend time in prayer. But let me ask you, that in those moments of prayer, is there ever, some, ever anything ever kind of pop up into your mind that you know you need to talk about, but instead you just kind of turn down the volume on your conscience a little. And you say, no, no, God, I'll take care of that. God, I'll, I'll address that. I'm, I'm going to follow my own will on this one, so just kind of hands off of that for now. And, and you, haven't, you haven't run away from God. You haven't left home. You haven't abandoned belief, but you're writing the note. Father, if you make me do that, if you make me stop doing that, then I'm gone. And at some point, I I think that this is kind of all true for all of us. That at some point, we've all kind of run away from God. Or, or we've run away from what God wants for us and what God wants to do in our lives. And, and let's be honest, talking about the Lord's Prayer, the, the hardest part for those of us who are runners, the hardest part to pray of the Lord's Prayer is that second part. Talked about last week, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Yeah, that's all good. But then you get to that next line. Thy kingdom come. Thy will, thy will, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason why that that second part is the hardest part for those of us who are runners, the reason why that's the hardest part of the Lord's prayer to pray is that because it means that if God's kingdom is to come, then my kingdom has got to go. And that if God's will is to be done, that it means that I have to surrender my will. That's not of earthly or heavenly things. And so when God comes to us and says, hey, I got something I want you to start doing. Or we need to talk about that thing that you are doing and you need to cut it out. And and what we do is we just build a bigger wall to our own kingdom. Or we just turn up the volume of the fanfare for ourselves and and we run away from God into our own self-centered delusion of security. We run in 
to ourselves. And so for all of us who are runners, there's a great Old Testament story out there about the most famous runner in all of the world. His name's Jonah. You remember Jonah, right? But when you think of Jonah, you, you might think of like Veggie Tales, right? You think of the big whale that swallows up the guy. And, and, and you might think, ah, that's just a childhood story. There's no way that any reasonable person could possibly believe that a man lived inside the belly of a giant whale for three days and three nights and lived to tell the story about it. But, but here today, I just, I just want us... I just want us to be able to say that we won't let the myth make us miss the message. Because as I hope we're going to see, I hope that we'll see that Jonah's story is really our story. And so here's how the story begins. This is the very first verse of Jonah chapter 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Nineveh, this is important, Nineveh was part of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were the enemies of the Jews. And so God tells Jonah to go and preach against his enemies. And the Ninevites were not very nice people. In fact, the city of Nineveh was called the city of blood by another Old Testament prophet, Nahum. And the reason why Nineveh is called the city of blood is because of the Ninevites' keen ability to skin someone alive and their prowess in cutting a body apart piece by piece by piece until there's nothing left To cut. And so you can kind of imagine why God says, hey, those Ninevites, yeah, their wickedness, it's got my attention. We can understand that, right? And we can probably also understand this next part of the story. And here's how it goes But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed, not for Nineveh, where did he go? Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God comes to Jonah and says, hey Jonah, you know those Ninevites, right? Over there. Yeah, I want you to go and talk to them. Just have a conversation with them. I I know how wicked they are. I, I know what they're capable of. So I want you, Jonah, to go and try to talk some sense into them. I, I want you, Jonah, to go and, and, and get them all to repent, to, to turn from their evil ways and turn back to God. And Jonah says, no. <laughs> God, no, please, no. Jonah doesn't try to argue with God. Jonah doesn't come up with any, any big theological reason as to why he shouldn't go or anything like that. He doesn't try to argue his way out of it. He just says, No. Now Jonah, this is important, Jonah didn't stop believing in God 
when he ran away. He, he didn't abandon his faith as we're going to see later on in the story. He just ran away from what God wanted him to do. God, I, I know what your will is. I know that your will is that you want me to go and preach to these people. But my will, hear me out, my will, God, is that I would very much like not to do your will. <laughs> That's what my will is. And I mean, we've, we've done that before, right? You ever read through the Bible and, and you come across something that, that kind of catches your attention and you feel it in your heart a little? And then you turn the page and say, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> or maybe you've heard me preach a sermon before and you're like, wow, that just really struck a chord to me. It's like he was speaking into the depths of my soul this morning. And then you left this place and you said, nope, not going to do that. Or you sought the advice from, from your parents or some wise counsel, some friends, and you thought they're probably right. And that's probably the route that I should go. But nope. <laughs> Not going to do that. I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing. And so Jonah gets on a ship headed for Tarshish. And here's why that's important. I think we have a map of it here. Tarshish was the farthest he could possibly go from Nineveh. You see Nineveh there, it's about 550 miles away from Joppa, where Jonah's at at this moment. And so he decides, I'm not going to go 550 miles, I'm going to go 2,500 miles out of the way in the opposite direction. And you know, you know that, that sometimes you have to work harder to disobey God's will than you would have just following God in the first place. But again, and here's why we know this, but again, we're so focused on the away part that we're not really considering where we're going to. We just want to get as far away as possible. We're not so much thinking about where we're going to or the consequences that might come along the way due to our disobedience. And so we might be a little bit more familiar with this next part of the story. Jonah gets on the ship and a storm raises up and hits the ship and everyone on the ship begins praying as, as loud as they can. They begin praying to their gods. They're praying to the gods of their ancestors. They're praying to Poseidon. They're praying to Thor. They're praying to Aquaman. They're praying to all the Avengers and everyone, right? They're giving it all that they got. But where is Jonah? He's asleep in the hall of the boat. And so the captain comes down. Wake up, Jonah! Don't you see what's going on? Don't you see the storm? Don't you see that we are all about to die and lose our lives? Wake up and you start praying to your God so that maybe he will hear us and save us. You see, Jonah's supposed to be the prophet. But it took the captain of the ship to come and make that connection for him. To come and make the connection that, that the storm that's going on outside, the disaster that's going on right outside his cozy little place of disobedience, that that storm might just be connected. 
to his disobedience. And sometimes when we're the ones that are running, sometimes we can be the last ones who get it. Sometimes we can be a little slow to see the connection between the disaster and our disobedience because this was all a mess of Jonah's own making. When he decided not to go the 550 miles in the direction that God called him to go, but instead he went 2,500 miles in the exact opposite direction. So Jonah gets up. He goes onto the deck of the ship, and instead of praying to God, he tells the crew that he's been running away from God. And the God that I've been running away from, Jonah says, my God, my God is the God of the land and the sea. Oh yeah, there's the connection And Jonah says, your only choice, your only choice to really save yourselves is to throw me overboard. And so let's just pause here for a second. Everyone say pause with me. Ready? Pause. All right. I'll just give this one away to you for free. But sometimes, sometimes when a storm hits your life, It might be because you've got a Jonah on your ship. Sometimes when a storm hits your life, it it might be because someone's running away from God is causing you to drown. And maybe the best thing that you can do is to throw Jonah overboard. Now, I know that doesn't sound very Christian. Yes, you should talk to them. You should ask them to repent. You should have a conversation. But sometimes what you got to do is you got to delete their number out of your phone. You you got to cut the ties. You got to say your goodbyes and dump them overboard. We'll talk about that more some other time. All right, ready? Unpause. Okay. Now, <clears throat> they do exactly that. They throw Jonah overboard and then what happens in the story? You remember this? What comes along? You can, you can say it. What comes along? A fish, a whale. Okay, yeah, exactly. This is how it goes. It says, now the Lord provided. Hang on to that word. The Lord provided a huge fish, not a whale. Sorry, VeggieTales. A huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three, for a belly of the fish. There I go. For three days and three nights. Jonah's not going to get out of this one through death. And so God sends a fish to swallow Jonah up. And this is the part of the story where we all say, yeah, right. And we can debate whether it was a whale or a fish or if it even happened or not. But, but here's, here's the truth that I think we can all agree on. And, and the truth that this story is trying to remind us of is that God is the one who provided it. That God is the one who rescued Jonah. But the resources for rescue, they weren't the Ritz. They weren't the Rolls Royce. 
God could have provided another ship that was going to do exports that was filled with fine foods and spices and wine and really nice people. I mean, just a nice cruise ship to come along and pick Jonah up. Or at least God could have provided a dinghy for Jonah to kind of row his way back home. But God provides a big old stinky fish. And I wonder, has God provided a big old stinky fish as a resource to rescue you from your own disobedience? I mean, has God ever brought someone or something into your life to rescue you from the mess that you've made on your own that you didn't really like? A tough conversation, maybe. When your spouse says, we need to talk. Your boss calls you into the office and says, I've noticed something. Maybe it took a ride in the back of a police car. Or the debt collectors that keep calling. Maybe you burn out. Or maybe you had to go through a stint in rehab. And maybe, maybe you knew that, that that day would one day come. You, you knew that there would be a day of reckoning that you, that you would have to answer for your disobedience. And I think Jonah kind of knew that too. While he was standing at the port in Joppa, deciding not to go to the place where God wanted him to, but to disobey the Lord of the land and the sea and instead go his own way. And things didn't go so well. And I think Jonah knew that. But what it says, what it says is that God still provided. God provided a fish. We may not like the resources that God uses to rescue us with. We may see them as a problem at the time. But in hindsight, Have you ever looked back and saw it not as a problem, but as provision? Have you ever thanked God for that big old stinky fish? And that even though you hated spending three long days or however long it was inside of that deep, dark place, that you could still thank God for it afterwards? Because this is the turning point. And here's, here's the turning point for Jonah. That it's, it's in that time that he's inside that big old stinky fish for, for three days and three nights. And he prays this prayer that's captured in the scripture. He prays this, this, this prayer of surrender, this kind of white flag prayer, this, this May Day prayer. And I bet that you know it. You, you may not know it word for word, but, but I bet that you know it because... You've prayed it before. You've prayed something like it before. You've, you've made that distress call, mayday, mayday, and, and you've made it, I bet, to God. That even while you were in that, that dark spot, I bet that you didn't put out a mayday call to the thing that you were running to as you were running away from God. I bet what you put out that mayday call for you put out that made a call for your heavenly father to hear it. 
And so this is what Jonah prays, this kind of prayer of surrender. He says, in my distress, in my distress, I call on the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Yes, Lord, you hurled me into the depths into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. And the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down to the earth beneath. And the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you... Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. That when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And I said to myself, those who cling to worthless idols, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I... With shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good, and I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I love it. Such a beautiful picture. (laughs) But when Jonah finally gets it, when, when he finally kind of makes the connection there, when, when he finally realizes that salvation, that deliverance comes from the Lord, he obeys. The rest of the story goes on. He goes and tells the Ninevites, hey, salvation belongs to the Lord, and they all repent. It says that even their livestock, their cows and their sheep, they repent. They all turn back to the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord, but first it was a truth that Jonah needed to hear. In that deep, dark place of his despair and desperation, Jonah first needed to hear that truth for himself. Because he realized that he was the one, even though he didn't abandon belief in God, but he was the one who was clinging to a worthless idol. And that he had turned away from the love of of God and that worthless idol that Jonah was clinging to all along it was himself it was his own sense of security it was it was his own will it was his own way to try to preserve and keep his life comfortable just the way that it was because when you run away from God you always run towards something else. But when you get there, if you get there, will you find that what you were running towards was worth what you ran from? Don't forfeit the love of God for a worthless idol. Because in order for God's will to be done... Jonah had to surrender his to the Lord. He had to stop running. He had to throw up the white flag. And and when he did, the entire town of Nineveh, the, the city of blood, turned back to God. 
And, and if that's not a sign of God's kingdom coming from heaven onto earth, then I don't know what is. But it took Jonah to pray that prayer of surrender. It took Jonah to fly that white flag prayer deep within that dark place where he was at. And so every time that we pray, Father, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every time that we pray that, we are lifting up a white flag. We are letting out a mayday call for help, surrendering our will to God's will, surrendering our kingdoms and the way that we want to do it unto God's kingdom. We're asking for God's kingdom to come and to invade our life and our world. It's a mayday prayer. And to pray the Lord's Prayer, to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, it's to acknowledge that there is another alternative. An alternative besides our own and our own, why, and our own ways. And in fact, it might be better if we just obey it. Come to realize that there is a better way than, than my own that I've tried it on my own. I've tried my own will. I've tried my own ways. I've tried running and saying, God, I can't. I can't anymore. And so I surrender. I surrender my will. I surrender my ways. I surrender my autonomy. I, I surrender my life. God, it's time for mine to come to an end and yours to come to a head, O oh God. But first, we have to stop running. Stop running long enough to pray, God, thy kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not my will. And not my ways, Lord. But yours. And so, in just a moment, we're going to um, have an opportunity to kind of run back to God through a Holy Communion, sharing in the Lord's Supper. And, and we call it holy because it's something that's so different. That in this meal, we see something so different from, from the ways of our world, from the kingdoms of our world. We see that Jesus said, I'm going to give up my body for you. And my blood will be shed for you, for your forgiveness, for your own life. I surrender for you. And the resources that Jesus, is, Jesus uses to rescue us. His body. His blood. His life. Given for each and every one of us to call us back. To win us back. To bring us back into relationship with the Father. So won't you pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, God, we thank you. We thank you for this ancient story of Jonah. God, we thank you for uh, its wonder, but also, Lord, its, its ability to, to kind of pierce us to hold a mirror up to us 
And so, Lord, for any of us who have been running here, running away, trying to, trying to push you away or turn down the volume of your voice calling us, God, I pray, I pray that you would move in a powerful way, that your grace would call us back, that your Holy Spirit would bring us back, woo us back, that we'd lay down the worthless idols that we've been clinging to for so long. And God, that we turn back to your love, your endless, unconditional love that pursues us. We find that love in Jesus. Who just as Jonah complained that he had to go and preach to a bunch of people that didn't like him, they weren't going to hear him, God, we thank you that you sent Jesus to come in the form of a baby in a manger to spread a message of good news and love and grace and peace and justice to a people that wouldn't hear it. And we all confess, Lord, that we pushed him away, that we crucified him buried in the grave just like Jonah, there for three days. And yet, Lord, he rose victoriously. And that's why we can celebrate here today, because there is a hope. And we acknowledge that there is an alternative way, God, your kingdom, your ways. Give us the courage to obey. And to show all of this, Jesus sat with his disciples on the night before he surrendered his life to the cross for all of us. He took bread and he gave thanks to you, O God, and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after that, he took the cup, the cup of salvation. And he lifted it up and he gave thanks to you, O God, and he blessed it and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so Lord Jesus, we do remember you. We remember you, God, in, in such a way that, that you're here with us, offering us once again grace upon grace. And we've come. And so we ask, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here to call us back home to you, that you'd pour out your Spirit on these gifts of bread and the cup, that they would be for us the body and blood of Jesus, Lord, so that we could do your will, so that we could bring about your kingdom surrendered to you, holy and fully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.